Uh, this morning, um, I'm going to probably share several passages of Scripture. Uh, I see the clock has started. That ain't right, you know. The prayer is not supposed to be part of my time, is it? I don't, I don't, <laughs> that's all right. I think we can make it. We'll be all right. Uh, but anyway, uh, this morning we want to talk about a, a season of anticipation. And I'm going to read a, a number of passages of Scripture, uh, kind of like uh, this morning, and certainly invite you to read along. I think I've got most of them going to be on the, uh, on the screen. And so uh, we'll start out this morning by reading uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It just kind of serves as a backdrop for our talk this morning. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. The holiday season, or this Christmas season as we call it, is a wonderful time of year in really just so, so many ways. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Martha will quickly tell you that it is her favorite holiday, her favorite time of year. And I think that, you know, many of us would probably uh, agree with that. Uh, the trees, uh, the lights, and the decorations all remind us that Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, radio stations begin to play holiday music around the clock, and shopping centers are full with people that are beginning to get in the holiday spirit, as we call it. You know, I remember when I was a child, uh, shortly after Thanksgiving, you know, the Sears and Roebuck catalog would come in the mail, and uh, that was really exciting for me because I would just spend literally hours just sitting, going through the Sears and Roebuck catalog, the toy section, and making my wish list of all the things that I wanted. And it was definitely a wish list because, I mean, the, what actually happened was much shorter uh, than the list. I can remember actually even cutting out uh, some of the things and pasting them on a piece of paper. Uh, that's how exciting it was, and that's how exciting that time of year was for me. I think that most people look forward to this time of year really for many reasons. Uh, time off from work or time off from school. 
uh, time together with family and friends, gift exchanges and holiday parties for children and adults alike, we might say that this is a season of anticipation as all eagerly look forward to the excitement that this time of year brings to us. Well, I think that we could certainly say that the ancient Israelites of the Old Testament experienced a season of anticipation as well. Yeah, I began by reading from Isaiah, the ninth chapter, and of course, it's in this chapter where we find some very familiar passages of prophecy, some that we know very well and some that are very promising. But in the backdrop of these uh, passages of great promise is this very sad story of a nation that had turned its back on God. In Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, uh, the prophet says, God said through the prophet, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Uh, a very uh, sad condition, if you will. After David's reign as king over the nation of Israel, the Jewish people kind of went on a steady downward progression into sin and idolatry. And as a result, uh, God would bring judgment upon his people. It would begin with the Assyrian nation who attacked northern Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, we read about that in the chapter right before Isaiah chapter 9. Notice he says in Isaiah chapter 8, he says, Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over reason and the son of Remaliah, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Isaiah, in that passage, he pictures the Assyrian army as a raging river that overflows its banks, destroying everything in its path. That's what he's talking about in this uh, prophecy in Isaiah chapter 8. And, you know, history confirms that because it tells us that in 722 B.C. that the Assyrians uh, invaded and captured uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and carried many of its inhabitants, matter of fact, all of its inhabitants, off into captivity. And, of course, the northern kingdom of Israel never came together as a nation again. And, of course, it didn't really just end there because over the course of some 700 years until the New Testament time, Israel was harassed and opposed and uh, led subservient to one enemy nation after another. It was Assyria first, but then Babylon, and then the Persians, and the Medes, and the Greeks, and finally the Romans. 
This condition left the Jewish people yearning for better times and a brighter day, for a time of peace, a time of freedom, and a time of deliverance. And so with that, I'm sure that nearly every Israelite remembered Isaiah's prophecy. They remembered God's promise of a brighter day. They remembered Isaiah chapter 9 where Isaiah, God through Isaiah promised that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them, light has shone. I'm sure they remembered those prophecies. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Oh, I'm sure that from the time of the Assyrian invasion until the advent of Jesus, the Jewish people were in this season of anticipation, eagerly awaiting their Messiah, eagerly awaiting that Prince of Peace who would come and bring peace to their nation, who would establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness, who would free them from their oppressors. And we see this anticipation mentioned in the New Testament as well. We see it as the New Testament opens up because in Luke 2 and verse 25, it talks about one named Simeon who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for this very promise of God through Isaiah the prophet to have its fulfillment. In Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, it speaks of Anna the prophetess. And when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple, the Bible says that she began to give thanks to God and to speak about him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What were they waiting for? They were waiting for the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible says that the people were in expectation and they were all wondering whether John might be the promised Messiah. Once again, they were in expectation. They were in this season of anticipation. Luke chapter 23, 50 and 51 speaks of Joseph of Arimathea. And the Bible says that he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was looking for this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this prince of peace who would deliver the children of Israel, from their oppression. You see, 700 years of war, oppression, and injustice left the Jewish people yearning for and eagerly anticipating deliverance, peace, and freedom. And you know, so many times when we as people, we are so eagerly waiting for something, there's a tendency to get impatient. And sometimes in our impatience, we kind of develop an improper view of what it is that we're actually looking for or what we're waiting for. You know, uh, it was uh, about three weeks ago, uh, Martha and I were flying back to DFW uh, from Kansas City. We'd been there for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. And, uh, of course, uh, we didn't get the flight that we initially wanted to get on, and uh, I had to be at work that day. So we wound up coming in on a little bit later flight. 
we get off the plane and, you know, everything is hurry, hurry, rush, rush, because I've got to go to work in about an hour after we get off the plane. Uh, so we call an Uber driver to come and get us and, and take us to the house so I can get changed and get to work. Well, you know, on the Uber app, it tells you uh, the type of car you're going to get. We were supposed to get a, I think it was a blue Hyundai Santa Fe. And so, you know, normally at the airport, you can get an Uber car in about two minutes. But for some reason, this time, it was about 10 minutes. It said he's coming. I'm like, where is he coming from? You know, isn't he, isn't he right downstairs somewhere? But anyway, so we're looking for, and every car that passes, we're looking, we're looking, we're waiting for this car to come. And well, in the distance, I see a, a Hyundai Santa Fe coming toward us. And I say, okay, Martha, this is it. This is our car. Let's get ready. We grab our bags and we're ready. And it pulls up right there beside us. And we're just about ready to get in this thing. And this pilot comes behind us and said, no, this one's mine. <laughs> and so he gets in the car. And, of course, he gets in the front seat because it's probably his wife or his daughter that's picking him up from the airport. Well, the thing is, it wasn't even the color that we were supposed to be getting. It was a different color car altogether. It was a Hyundai Santa Fe, but not the one we were anticipating. Ours comes along a few minutes later, looked, looked the same, except the color was the right one. But the, the point of that is, is that's the way it is when we're waiting for something that takes time. We get impatient, we get restless, and sometimes it causes us to make mistakes in our judgment about what we're waiting for. And of course, that's exactly what happened with the people of Israel. You know, in waiting for the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, they developed a false view of what their Messiah would look like. They were looking for, of course, a grand and powerful uh, warrior king who would free them from Roman rule and oppression. They weren't looking for a carpenter's son from a lowly place called Nazareth. That didn't fit what they were looking for or what their expectation was. And of course, as a result, you know how the story goes. When Jesus, their Messiah, came, they didn't recognize that he was everything that God had promised. And of course, they nailed their Messiah to a cross. And so, here's the point that I want to make in all of that. As we enter into this holiday season, this season of anticipation, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the so-called holiday spirit with all of the lights, the shopping, the eating, the music, the Christmas parties, and all of the rest of all of that. It's so easy to get caught up in all of that, and in, in that, we totally miss Jesus Christ. Somehow, the celebration has become bigger than the one we're supposed to be celebrating. And that's a shame. I was listening to a sermon on Right Now Media a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I was thinking to myself, man, it would be great if we could just play the whole sermon up here and I wouldn't have to get up there at all. All I'd have to do is introduce it. Because, I mean, his thoughts were just, man, it was kind of really just what I had been thinking. But... It was just really excellent. But he made an excellent observation when he said something like, the celebration of Christmas as we see it today has become just another way 
that many people try to fill up what's lacking on the inside. And I really think that that's largely true. You know, Christmas has become really just another holiday for most people. Just another way to give us a a little dose of happiness. And when it's all over, we're left waiting for the next holiday or really just the next big thing that's going to give us another little shot of happiness or joy or whatever, never actually filling the void on the inside of us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, the prophet said that God has made everything beautiful in his time, and also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I think that we might glean from this passage that God has placed a desire a yearning for, if you will, uh, eternity, or that which is eternal, in the heart of a mankind. It's just kind of the way he made us. Saul's, excuse me, Solomon said that he's placed eternity in the hearts of man's. And what that says to me is that there's a void there, a void there, a yearning for, a longing for the eternal In all of us, God put that there. He put it there so that we would seek him, that we would look for and eagerly await, anticipate eternity. And oftentimes the problem is that we try to fill that void with that which is temporal, with holidays and vacations and new cars and fancy homes and money and jobs and all of those things that are temporal we tend to try to fill the eternal void that's inside us with the temporal that's all around us and that we can see. And rather than leading us to true happiness, all of those temporal things and celebrations often tend to lead us just to frustration and emptiness and depression because the reality is that only the eternal God in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ, can fill that void of eternity that God has placed in the heart of mankind. And as long as we try to really just treat the symptoms, if you will, the disease is always going to be there on the inside. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Uh, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He said, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is that abundant life but a a, a life that's full of meaning, a life that can experience true joy regardless of external circumstances and conditions that's going on around us? I think that Jesus was talking about this very concept. In John 17 and verse 3, Jesus prayed, saying, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How is this void of eternity filled within us? It is knowing God in relationship with Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
And we've talked about it many times from this very pulpit. Eternal life doesn't just happen when we die. It's not just about eternity. It's that abundant life that we experience here and now when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. In John 4 and verse 14, when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, he said, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I think the thirst that Jesus speaks of is not, of course, a physical thirst, but rather it is that void of eternity on the inside of us. And Jesus promises living water that fills us completely, permanently, eternally. Yes, eternally. I said that right. Beloved, only a real relationship with Jesus can fill the void of eternity that's within us. The temporal might help the symptoms for just a little while, but only the eternal can heal completely. You know, one of my favorite Christmas movies, and you know, I haven't seen it actually in a couple of years. I think it, it comes on every year, I think, but it's because of the way I work. I guess I haven't really seen it the last couple of Christmas seasons, holiday seasons, is uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. <laughs> yeah, we all know that one. It's been coming on for a number of years, but I think it really illustrates the point uh, very, very well. Uh, you know, in that cartoon, uh, everyone around is preparing for Christmas the, so much the way that we often do today. Uh, everybody's caught up in the trees and the decorations and the Christmas pageant and all of that. And, you know, and of course, finally in the end, uh, Charlie Brown, he's just kind of left empty and he's frustrated by all that's going on because he just can't quite figure it out. And so in his, frustra in his frustration, at the end of that, he cries out, uh, can somebody please tell me what Christmas is really all about? Y'all remember that cartoon, right? Kids, y'all remember that one. And, of course, then uh, young Linus, he uh, walks out into center stage and he quotes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. I love the Christmas season. I love the holiday for all that it brings. I really love the lights and the decorations, the tree, the music. I enjoy all of that. And I think that 
There's nothing wrong with that. I think sometimes, you know, there are those who question the religiosity of it all and whether it's good or bad or anything, but I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that. But as we're in this season of anticipation, let's make sure that we don't forget or lose sight of the one that we're celebrating, the one that our hearts are longing for and eagerly anticipating, the one who gives us abundant life, eternal life, living water. No matter what your celebration looks like, Make sure that Jesus is a part of it. Make sure that Christ is lifted up. And that as we anticipate the coming of December the 25th, let's anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as well.